You're listening to the Geek Watch Podcast, Episode 46. Goodbye, Stan Lee. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 46 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me, as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Hello, Brian. So we're definitely going to talk some Doctor Who and some Walking Dead and a few other things we want to discuss today. But of course, before we can do any of that, anyone who's listening to the Geek Watch Podcast are going to want us to talk about the news today. Stan Lee passed away. Yes. He was the patron saint of geeks. Mm-hmm. All over the place, they've been talking about who Stan Lee was and what he's meant to the world. To be honest, I think that the odds that somebody might be listening to something called the Geek Watch Podcast that has absolutely no idea who Stan Lee is is so infinitesimally small. <laughs> I don't know if we necessarily need to explain who he I is. I can't anyway. imagine. I was thinking, especially this week, Stan Lee is like Marvel. They're two names. They just go together. Mm-hmm. Like DC really doesn't have their own Stan Lee. You know, right. they've had so many people over the years. It was just great. We've got some great storylines. They just don't have, like you said, the patron saint. And some people at first blush might say, well, you know, that's sort of an ego on that guy, isn't he? That he might wanted to make himself the face of this comic book company. But the strength of that was when you thought of Marvel, you thought of a person, mm-hmm. somebody that you could talk to, somebody that you could have a conversation with, and you felt like you were kind of in this together. Mm-hmm. Where DC was a company, Marvel was Stan Lee, and you could talk to Stan, and mm-hmm. Stan would answer your letters and all of that. So he was right. he was the human face to Marvel. And I think the strength he brought to Marvel was having a person that you could attach your fandom to. Right. Now, uh, can you remember your earliest experience with Stan Lee? Was it in comic books? Was it on TV? Can you remember that because i can remember mine oh for me it mm-hmm. was definitely the letters pages in the comics mm-hmm. i always read the letter pages oh and what was really great was what he would do is and this i don't think they still do this because I, I don't even think they do letter pages anymore in marvel they would encourage you to find mistakes in the comics hmm. and mm-hmm. if you found a mistake they would award you a no prize a no prize called a no prize so if you found a mistake they would publish the letter and they would say congratulations you found this mistake you'll be getting your no prize in no time at all and <laughs> you never got your prize you never was, got a prize no they never sent you anything it was considered a, that's why it's called a no prize <laughs> if there was ever a mistake or something done in the comic they encouraged the readers to say hey no wait a minute you, you kind of messed up here and they would acknowledge this that- was the earliest easter eggs i mm-hmm. guess that ever existed and i think that is probably why geeks can spot Easter eggs so much better than any other. I guess action film fans probably couldn't catch on to Easter eggs as much as our comic book and geek foundation. Right. <laughs> and Marvel has always been about interacting with the fans and to that level. I remember there was a, a story that Stan Lee told at one time that there was it might have been an issue with the Fantastic Four that Stan wasn't happy with the story, but he didn't have any time left. So they couldn't redo it. They had to get the story out. And on the cover of the comic Stanley posts a little letter saying, folks, we know this isn't the best episode we've ever put out, but we put so many good ones out. Hopefully you'll forgive you'll us. Forgive for us. <laughs> oh, that is put so it right sweet. on the cover of the book. And it, of course it did well. Awesome. I can remember, and this is really going to date me and it's fantastic because of it. 
Pizza Hut had a special tie-in with the X-Men cartoon. And this was at the time of VHS. They didn't have DVD commentary or anything. So Pizza Hut had two VHS episodes of the the X-Men cartoon. Mm -hmm. And after the cartoon was over, there was an interview with Stan Lee. And you didn't get things like that on VHS. Very, very seldom did you get such things on VHS. And I was like eight years old and I was watching this and he talked, he was talking about Magneto. And he said, now when I started out, Magneto to me was a bad guy who thought he was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And that was really the first time I thought critically about villains. Because, you know, at that time, villains were villains and heroes were heroes. Hearing Stan Lee's voice talk about that and at the time not really knowing anything about him. And then at that time, that's when my love for superheroes and comics really grew out of the X-Men. Yeah, well... I think the first time I heard his voice, he was the narrator for Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Oh, yeah. Thinking about Stan Lee and all the things that he contributed to geekdom, I think the one thing he probably gets no credit for, but he deserves a lot of credit for, is the advent of the graphic novel. Hmm. And the reason I say that Stan Lee should get credit for that is... When he first started doing comic books, comic books were silly things. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are just what kids read. And right. I mean, even to a point where Stan Lee didn't feel comfortable telling people that he wrote comic books because, of course, you were going to get that attitude. It's like mm-hmm. you write kitty books. Mm-hmm. But he knew that the art form had more to offer. And that's why he created the characters that he did, because he wanted to stretch the boundaries of what comic books could do. And I think without that, without basically giving people the permission to experiment with the art form. You don't get people like Frank Miller and Neil Gaiman and Alan Alan Moore. Moore. Mm -hmm. You don't get comic books like The Watchmen or V for Vendetta Mm -hmm. or Mouse. I think that because Stan Lee, in a real sense, broke the mold as far Mm -hmm. as what comic books could do, that allowed people to tell really compelling stories with comic books. To be honest, I think... That the character of Superman really developed after Stan Lee created Spider-Man and that line, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think that line did more to really shape Superman. I mean, he was just a, he was an interesting mm-hmm. character. But I think what drove him really didn't solidify until that phrase, with great power comes great responsibility, went into the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. And I think that really focused what... Superman was. And I think that, it, strangely enough, is that... There was a mantra. There was a code. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. At that point, it wasn't Superman's just a nice guy and he's doing this. There was a weight. There was a gravitas. He got himself involved because it was important, because he had powers and he needed to use them to help other people. Heroes just happened to be heroes. And so, I mean, I really feel that once that that line from Spider-Man became a cultural thing. I think that that became something that became a keystone for heroes to that point on. Mm -hmm. So, but really I think Stan Lee and what he brought to comics and legitimizing the art form, I think we have gotten so many good things Mm -hmm. just from that. And I'm glad that he had the opportunity to see characters that he created become some of the most popular movies in the world and most successful. And now my understanding is he did film his cameo for Avengers 4. Yeah, I've heard. No one's really said anything about a cameo in Captain Marvel. There had been talk that, of course, his health hasn't been the best and that they filmed cameo stuff for him. 
So I would think that they probably did something for Captain Marvel. From my understanding is that Avengers... Maybe we got a new one for a Deadpool Christmas. Or what's the, Once Upon a Deadpool? What, I forget what you said it was called. Once Upon a Deadpool. Once yes. Upon a Deadpool, the Christmas special. <laughs> I have to say, one cameo I did not know about, because I didn't get a chance to see this movie in the theater, although I, did, I wanted to. But one of the cameos that I did not expect, that is so awesome, I can't stand it. Teen Titans go to the movies. Aww. <laughs> And it was his voice and everything. Uh-huh. And he did a cameo for Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Aww. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And the Stan Lee cameo has always been like that thing that you look forward to, which really started out, I want to say maybe X-Men. Well, he was in the trial of the Incredible Hulk. Yes, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. The so TV that was part. thing. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. But, Stan Lee, we're going to miss you. Godspeed and Excelsior. Excelsior. So... Let's talk a little bit of geek news. Ewan McGregor has mm-hmm. been cast as grown-up Danny Torrance mm-hmm. in Doctor Sleep. If you don't know, Doctor Sleep is the sequel to The Shining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm mm-hmm. really looking forward. To, it's a very strange book, I have to say, mm-hmm. because it's basically the answer to the question: If you had a really rough childhood, how does that affect you? And mm-hmm. a lot of how it affects Danny, of course, is that he, in some ways, becomes very much like his father. He's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. His life is kind of rough, right? but he still mm-hmm. has this ability, what they called the shining, this ability to see beyond. Mm-hmm. And he uses that power. He works in a, in a nursing home. And so his patients are getting close to death. He's sort of mm-hmm. there to comfort them. And that's why they call him Dr. Sleep. He helps people sleep. And that's right. where the title comes from. Right. Uh, it also, it expands on that. We could call it the Stephen King universe, but specifically The Shining. It expands that Shining universe mm-hmm. and talks about other people with The Shining. Um, maybe even a bit of the origins of The Shining. I don't right. want to, if you're going to read it, please go read it. But there's like people who will actually, the very same way of like in Heroes and X-Men, People will kidnap people with The Shining and take their powers right. and steal their powers uh, through something called the Steam. Right. And so it'll it's going to be really interesting. Now, tell me, Brian, do you think, do, do you feel, what would be the best way to go about this? To make a sequel to the Kubrick movie or making Dr. Sleep as it was meant to be as a sequel to the book, The Shining? Because I, I mean, say Stephen King it, would... Stephen King wasn't a big fan of the movie. Right. And there were changes in the movie that would be bad to carry on to the book. Okay. For example, it's been a while since I've read it, the, the African-American gentleman who, mm-hmm. who taught Janney about his powers. Right. In the book, he survives. Yes. And he's in Dr. Sleep. Mm-hmm. And he's, a, he's an important part, especially in the very beginning of the book, yeah. Exactly. It, but in the movie, of course, he dies. Right. He's played by Scatman Crothers, mm-hmm. and he, Jack kills him. Mm-hmm. And so you would have to rewrite a Dr. Sleep for that part mm-hmm. of it. And so in the, in the book, Dr. Sleep, Danny goes on to, uh, to have a relationship with him, mm-hmm. and he helps him. He's, he's teaching him to control these powers. And, right. Um, and so you would lose all of that. I think a good part of Dr. Sleep has to do with Stephen King maybe reclaiming mm-hmm. The Shining, in a sense. Because, and honestly, the, the movie, it was a great horror movie. Yeah. Um, it was. It had everything that needed to be a movie, but coming from the author's mind, this was a novel, and it's missing parts. It's right. Mi- it's missing parts. And you can definitely go online and see what Stephen King had to say about the movie. I can understand, definitely, when you've written something, how protective you can be of it mm-hmm. and how you can feel that somebody goes down a different road. But, yeah, I would say definitely you want that to be a sequel to the book 
Because I think it makes more sense than trying to... Right. It being a, a sequel to the book instead of the Kubrick movie, I think it's just going to work out better. I really do. Mm-hmm. So speaking of movie trailers, I saw a movie trailer yesterday. I don't know if you've seen this or if you've even heard of it. Did you see the trailer for Detective Pikachu? I did. That really came out of left field, I feel like. I had no idea. (laughs) I know that Pokemon is big. I didn't know they were going to take it and make it into a film noir. Yeah, well, it's based off of a a video game, Detective Pikachu. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. And the story apparently is going along with the game. So basically, you have this main character. His father is a police officer. And he goes missing, and his son goes to Rhyme City to try to find him and runs into a Pikachu who has skills as a detective. The thing about it is no one else can understand Pikachu. He, For some reason, he can understand what the Pikachu is saying, and it sounds like English to him. In the movie, the voice of Pikachu is Ryan Reynolds. It's brilliant. Yeah, and um, the memes have been endless in the mm-hmm. past few days since this came out. Pikachu dressed as Deadpool. Yeah. Pikachu opening up and Deadpool's inside of him. Many, many beautiful, beautiful memes. Oh, yeah. But you realize at this point that if it's a game, then it's game. <laughs> as far as movies are concerned. And that was a pick out of left field, definitely. Mm-hmm. for. But I have to say, I mean, I never played Pokemon. I watched a little bit of it on television when I was younger. And, of course, when I owned a gaming store, we sold Pokemon cards because if you run a gaming store, you better sell Pokemon <laughs> cards. Seeing the trailer, for me, that was amazing. I, the, what they were doing with the Pokemon and how they looked, I thought was just fantastic. Is this this generation's Roger Rabbit? It's a very good possibility. Mm -hmm. Although, of course, with Roger Rabbit, you had that Avengers moments where you were going to see Daffy Duck and Donald Duck in the same... Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you got to see... Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. Yeah. You got to see those team-ups. I mean, you're not going to get that kind of a situation in the Pokemon movie, but wow. I mean, it looks really good. I'm I'm tempted to go see it. Now, the teaser trailer came out for Toy Story 4. Did you see that? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. The spork. There's a spork spork in Toy Story. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's brilliant. Yeah, and there was that one, which was uh, sort of like an announcement trailer, and then they came out with another trailer. I haven't seen that one then. Oh, well, it was um, two carnival stuffed animals, a duck and a... I think the other one was like a teddy bear or something, voiced by Key and Peele. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is going to be so good. Now, we don't know what the story is going to be about, but I did read somewhere. Tom Hanks was talking about doing the voices for Toy Story 4, and he said there's some parts in the movie that were so emotional, he had to keep his head down. He couldn't look at the other voice actors. Oh. So it's like, well, Well, of course, it's Toy Story. They're going to have to gut you. Well, that's rare that they would have actors in the studio together. Well, sometimes they isolate them Mm -hmm. so you don't get interference with microphones. Right. But sometimes they'll put people across from each other so they can act off of each other. Mm -hmm. And apparently Tom Hanks said he couldn't look at anybody. So apparently they decided as much as the three original Toy Stories gutted you, this is going to be worse. Great. Hooray. Hooray. (laughs) So we've got those to look forward to. And with that, now we get to the Sunday night shows. Yeah, what the who and what the dead. So let's talk about Doctor Who, the demons of the Punjab. Now, of course, we talked last week about how deep into the history were they going to go. And boy, they went hard. (laughs) They decided to go into the, the partition 
And if you didn't know what it was, of course, you found out going through the episode. I mean, a very rough time for that country. Millions of people died. Putting the team TARDIS in the middle of all of that was... Mm -hmm. Whatever you think about the writing of the show for this season, just like anything else, some people like it, some people hate it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not about to knock any of the old writing or Stephen Moffat or any of the old episodes. But if you look at an episode like uh, Let's Kill Hitler... (laughs) They go to Nazi Germany, Mm -hmm. and they meet Hitler, but Hitler's mostly a a comedic foil. Mm -hmm. And make light of it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and there are a couple of references, but, I mean, you don't feel the dread of being in the middle of one of the most evil Mm -hmm. genocidal machines in history. You don't feel the weight of that, because it was just a backdrop for telling another story that, let's be honest, they could have told it anywhere. I feel like in, in Doctor Who, when you went into the past... There may have been a few situations where you felt the gravitas of the history, but certainly not to the degree that this season had. I mean, Alabama. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Rosa and Alabama and now Pakistan, Mm -hmm. India. The history is really becoming a serious part of the show. Right. And And this emotional. And we went to this big story, this big event in history told through the most personal storyline, something we can all relate to, something we can feel for. And when she's standing there and they're getting married and she says, I'm going to be the first woman married in Pakistan, it's heart-wrenching and yeah. uh, beautiful. It's beautiful storytelling. And yeah, I, I really loved it. And that's one of the complaints is, the, oh, this season Doctor Who is just being too political. It's being too... That's not new. <laughs> this yeah. is Doctor Who from the very beginning. You know, yeah. it's always been this way. I don't know if they're just noticing it more now because we have a female Doctor, but it, it's always been this way. So yeah. it's, it's not... Well, all good stories have a moral to them. And so all good stories are really saying something about something, whether you agree with it or not. <laughs> but... Especially with this episode, it's not really like you have bad guys in this episode. You have people who are confused. Right. The first thing, of course, is that you have these monsters that turn out not to be monsters. Right. You think they're monsters, and everything leads you to believe that they're monsters. Yeah, but they're not. Again, you know, you feel the gravitas of the history because once the doctor finds out what's going on, she realizes she can't do anything to change it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's that point where she begs them, give him one more day. And they say, we're not gods. We haven't determined any of this. Mm -hmm. We're just watching. We're just here so that they don't die alone, that they're witnessed. I mean, what amazing storytelling Mm -hmm. we got there. To me, it was like this was Doctor Who at its best. Usually, and I've I've said this before, usually the first season with a new Doctor, the storytelling tends to be kind of weak. And I got to say that the writing's been really good this season. And it's such... I don't know how recent in history that we've had this trope in literature and everything about being forgotten. Neil Gaiman's American Gods. If the gods are forgotten, they lose their power. If right. you turn your back on them, they lose their power. I just finished reading The Red Tent. I mean, just like yesterday, I finished reading The Red Tent. And a story that I had heard my entire life from Genesis now flipped around and told through a much more realistic eye. And that was one of the sentences she says, so that you remember me and I'm not just a footnote, that Mm -hmm. I am my story so that I'm not forgotten. And it's really, it it is, it's really beautiful. And I I hope we see them again. It will be tragic. We know that it's going to be tragic when we see them, but to see them would be, you know, beautiful. What's interesting is those characters play a very similar role 
Well, you, you didn't get to see any of the Peter Capaldi ones, <laughs> but there are these glass creatures that basically appear to people at the moment of their death. Mm-hmm. They freeze time, and they basically pull them out of time, and they interview them and get their life and then put them back. Aww. This had a lot to do with the Christmas episode, mm-hmm. the last Christmas episode where Peter Capaldi regenerates. Mm-hmm. The, the, the 12th Doctor regenerates into the 13th which made for some really powerful stuff. That story is, I would say, where I said that there were some stories where the history was actually palpable and had gravitas. That one definitely did. The one with Peter Capaldi's last one. Because history played a real role in what was going on in the story. Well, that's very much like the Christmas Carol episode where the girl had just 10 days to live. And she kept spending them year after year with the doctor and the boy. Yeah. And so knowing that you're going to die, it's... Right. Wow. Well, I mean, that shadow passes through pretty much every great story in Mm -hmm. one form or another. So So next week, we have the doctor versus Amazon.com. Huh. Apparently, from what I've seen in the trailers, the name of the, the episode is Kerblam. And there's this huge conglomerate delivery market service and these robots that deliver packages. Right. And they work for this kind. And it looks like it's Amazon.com, basically. Mm -hmm. This galaxy's galactic Amazon.com. And so the doctor's fighting against Amazon. We'll see who wins. (laughs) Hmm. But we got that to look forward to next week. And then we get to The Walking Dead. Here we have what is essentially a new beginning. We we had another time jump. We've learned all kinds of great stuff, not including what happened to Maggie. But hopefully we'll learn that this Sunday. But one of my most happy moments is when I realized that Rick and Michonne had a baby. Little RJ. Yeah, that was a shock. Little Rick Jr. So happy uh, that this is the future. It's happening. We're seeing it, and it's very exciting. I was very happy with the episode. I was okay with the time jump. We see, oh, there's some great stuff. Daryl running away from home, basically. Right. (laughs) Out to live in the woods. Yeah. All by himself. And something that I will never, you know, not say is that when shit needs burned, Carol burns (laughs) shit. And oh, that was that was beautiful. And oh yeah, she's not she's not lightened up at all. Yeah. Now one of the advantages of watching The Talking Dead is you get little bits of trivia, and you're going to find this rather interesting. The older Henry is a really good match for the younger Henry, and there's a reason for that Hmm? because the actor who plays the older Henry is the brother. Brother. Oh wow! But that's not all. <gasps> not all. No, because their sister has also been in The Walking Dead. She played Sophie. Are yeah. you serious? Yes. So yep. all of Carol's kids yes. are are Carol are brothers and sisters. Oh, yes. that is fantastic, Brian. I love that. Uh, my mind was blown. I'm like, yeah, dude, they spot on, perfect man, and yeah, and also learning about the actress that plays Judith, little ass kicker, all grown up. Yeah, was Ray. In Star Wars. Yeah, she was Baby Ray. Baby yeah. Ray in Star Wars. Yeah, and what I learned from Talking Dead was she's the epitome of the professional. The older actors, if they start to screw around, she gets them back in the line. Excellent. Well, you know, they're old hat. They've been at this for nine years. Like, we're done. This is brand new to her. What I love about it is, of course, you have the actress who's playing the deaf character is deaf. The actress who's playing her sister, mm-hmm. who signs and translates, is actually hard of hearing. Wow. Amazing, yeah, and and yeah. there's there's so there's such good actors. Um, yeah, yeah, wearing emotion on your face, which is a big part of deaf culture. You wear your emotions, and you so know people... that's why deaf people are so good at playing poker. So don't play poker with a deaf <laughs> deaf person because they can read everything. <laughs> oh yeah, I do have to say that I am interested to see where things go. 
They're getting ready to develop this big bad that is going after Rosita and Eugene. Mm -hmm. And so if they wind up catching Eugene, it's going to be bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's definitely... There's not going to be a whole lot of good things to happen. And like I said, I don't know how much of the comic they intend to use. Mm -hmm. But if they do... There's going to be some really horrible things. Oof, wow. Stuff that very uncomfortable, very messed up. And I have to say, especially with some of the dynamics that they have in the show now that they don't have in the comics, it's going to make things a heck of a lot worse. Wow. Regardless of what happens, it's good to know that Carol still kicks butt. Yes. Mm-hmm. It has uh, not changed. She has not gentled when, up at all. No. And you think for, for just a second, you're like, oh, no. You know, she's cowering. Oh, no. I'm just going to come back later. Pour gasoline all over you and set you on fire. Yeah. Because when shit needs burned, Carol burns Burn shit. shit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we've got two more episodes of The Walking Dead. This year, yep. And... We'll definitely talk about all of that next week. See where it goes. We'll get to see where Daryl's been living out in the woods with a dog. Finally, after nine years, we've needed a dog for a long time. And I hope we don't get the dog killed off. Although I did see a scene from next week that involves Daryl and the dog, and it's not looking good for either one of them. (gasps) No, don't tell me that. Well, don't worry. The, the dog can't die. I mean, these are the rules of Hollywood. The dog can never die. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't worry about that. The helicopter people come and save the right. dog. they'll come and save the dog. <laughs> so. <laughs> and so, with that said, we come to the end of another episode of the Geek Watch Podcast. Thank you for listening, and tune in next week for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch Podcast. For Mandy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher, reminding all the geek watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch Podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch Podcast is a Hanging J production.